Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is. Uh, I'm Chase Cunningham. This is Dr. Zero Trust show thing, webcast, podcast, whatever. Um, I've got Philippe from CrowdSec, and I'd like him to give an introduction on who he is and kind of what he does. And then we're just going to go talk about some interesting stuff. Sure, Chase. Uh, hi, I'm Philippe, a French citizen. Uh, I've been born and, uh, and grown here. Uh, and then I made my studies as a security engineer, uh, engineering school, um, you know, network security and everything. Did pen testing for 15 years, red team, uh, and then became a blue teamer. I uh, decided to go on the defensive side of things, which is very interesting as well. You know, there's fun on the one end, the red team, and there is like this uh, righteous thing to do on the right end, which is the blue teaming. So I'm now the head of a security software editor, free open source security software editor, which is CrowdSec. And uh, we have a, a global network of uh, users collaborating together. But I guess we'll tell more about this later on. So, well, it's an interesting career. I love it when I get to talk to another red teamer. Uh, so the, the most important question is always the first one. And I got to ask this because I was looking at your site and everything else. Why a llama? Like you've got llamas all over stuff. I want to know why the llama was the, the brand logo. Yeah. And to be fair, actually, Chase, it's it's supposed to be an alpaca. But I see ah, the okay. alpaca. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're very trained in this because we made a mistake on the logo and they look like llamas. So you're right. It's a llama <laughs> on the logo, even though it's supposed to be an alpaca. So um, we do open source software. And as you know, we needed uh, an animal, an emblem, an emblem animal, which could be anything. So for Python, it's a Python. For PHP, it's an elephant. For Linux, it's a, it's a penguin and so on. Uh, but for the uh, the software we had, we, we needed one. And um, the wife of our CTO is a very funny uh, woman. And uh, she wanted to have an alpaca petting bar. So you basically would have a beer and you would pet an alpaca at the same time, which for very technical reasons uh, is complicated to achieve because alpaca don't have a very good control over the sphincters. So you don't really have alpacas in between, you know, uh, people drinking beers. So the project died, but the alpaca stayed. And we were like, okay, let's have an alpaca. And on top of that, it means like policemen in Peruvian. And since they are slightly smarter than sheep, they are the one avoiding that the chimps jump from the cliff or whatever. They are helping the other. They cannot live alone. They always live in a group. And it's exactly what we're doing. We are safer together. So the alpaca actually fitted a lot of things for us. Oh, well, that's number one. I just learned something. I didn't know much about the uh, the sphincter control of alpacas, which is always <laughs> cool to learn about. I, I definitely don't want to be too close to one. Uh, and, you know, the, the it makes sense, right? So that you've got that. So you, you kind of mentioned about the the collective sort of crowd model that we're talking about here. How How does that work with your system? And like, what's the what's the real value proposition of that? Yeah, so basically when you defend a system nowadays, you tend to do it alone, you know, like with all your tools, all your teams, and you fight against an army. And basically the one thing that we learned around like 40, 40 no, the 4,000 last year, sorry, is that if you fight alone against an army, you lose, period, you know, except in Hollywood movies. Now, what we say is we've tried to outsmart them. We try to, to outpace them, and it always failed. What we think we should try is to outnumber them. Because we don't bet that the user will be smart. We don't bet that we will be faster or whatever. We just bet that we are more numerous. And it's a safe bet. We are outnumbered them 10,000 to 1. 
So the idea behind CrowdSec is the following. We read logs, wherever they are. They can be cloud-born, they can be in a CM, they can be local, they can be audits, RCS log, they can be Windows, whatever. We don't care. We uh, aggregate them, read them, and we look for behaviors. Here again, it's kind of different. A lot of things are not proceeding on behavior. It's very rare that the software is looking for behavior. Behavior can be like, uh, is this guy trying to uh, buy something for $0.1? We don't have anything to, think, to sell for $0.1 on our website. So maybe it's credit card stuffing. Is it trying to hammer my credentials on the VPN? Well, it's credential stuffing. Maybe it's scanning our website. Maybe it's scanning our ports. Maybe it's doing things on VOIP. All of these are behaviors that leave trades in the logs. And CrowdSec read this. This is a security engine that is for free. Read this. And when you find something that is fishy, it's blocking the IP address that is behind uh, the requests can be on your firewall, can be on your Nginx, your load balancer, whatever you already have in your network, not a problem. The twist being that when you found an IP address and a bad behavior, we're interested. We get this, the timestamp, and then we can correlate this at the scale of the globe, at the scale of 200,000 installs in the world. And if other peers see the same thing as you did, Chase, it's unlikely to be uh, randomness. It's likely that the IP address is having the same behavior at scale over the internet. So we have a threshold of around some few hundreds of machines. And when this threshold is reached, the IP address is integrated into a global block list that is broadcasted around the globe. And when the IP is no longer used by cyber criminals, it's released. Hmm. So that's so that's interesting because you're you're taking, I really, I think that's an interesting approach, right? You're taking the position of uh, there's more good guys than bad guys. And if we share this information the right way, we can dynamically keep ourselves ahead of that, that curve. And it, the, the threshold you're setting there is, is something that's different too, as far as it's not just one IP address means a bad thing. I mean, weird stuff happens and things bounce off, but if you, if you meet that threshold, there's probably something there. And I guess the position is it's better to block it and make it where it's no longer connected than to let it run and see what happens. Yeah, yes and no. So I would argue that we try and we are so far zero false positive because the consensus that you're talking about, the algorithm that is doing this, is slightly smarter than that. There's a shortcut here. So how it works is when you enter the network with your security engine, we don't trust you at first. We don't trust you for the first six months. And then after, when you say something, we start listening to you and eventually consider that your information can be interesting. The second thing that we do is we need to have a high level of diversity. So if you go on Amazon and spawn a thousand machine, we register them for six months and start poisoning the consensus, making me think that Chase's IP is bad, we still won't listen to you because you don't offer enough diversity. If we have diversity, trust in the peers, uh, and um, the, you're not trying to block a whitelisted IP like Microsoft Update or Quad9, Quad8, Quad1 or Google Boat, right? Then you will go through the process and be integrated in the block list. There is one more thing that we do is we use AI uh, to actually check the needle and the haystack. Uh, so if, for example, IP A, B, C, and D are working together and they come at your place, Chase, maybe you will see one scan one attempt to exploit some WordPress vulnerability, one VPN credential brute force or something like this. But hey, it's four different IPs at four different moments in time. You don't correlate anything. But at the scale of our network, spending 175 countries and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of machines, 
If we see the same IPA, B, C, D, having the same behavior in different places, then we group them, we'll attribute them into a cohort and say A, B, C, D are under the control of the same cybercriminal group. So if A is knocking at your door, you can proactively block B, C, and D because they will be coming after you. Mm. Yeah, there's a, what's the concept in legal theory? They call it fruit of the poison tree, where if one charge is bad in discovery, everything else that's related to that charge is bad as well. It's a poison chain, yeah. Yeah, and technology, it's especially IP addressing and, you know, IPv4 subnetting, like it makes even more sense. Uh, So are you, are you able to potentially discover like APT level type of activity because of the grouping of IPs and activity or is that, or is that a bridge too far? Well, the thing is, I think a lot of mistakes have been made in the field by trying to outsmart them. And we are really just about brute forcing our way, out, outnumbering them. So we don't care about the gun making a headshot. You just are facing a wall of bullets. So whether it's APT, fancy, cozy, bear, whatever, we don't care where it comes from. They just are aggressive. They're working together. And they can be Russian, Lebanese, or South African. We don't give a damn. We block them, period. And when they are clear, we release them. We don't care about the motive. We don't care about who they are. We don't care how they proceed. Well, we care about how they proceed. But beyond that, you see what I mean? When I see Microsoft saying, this is Chinese attack, I'm very interested on how they attribute this to Chinese. The technology they are sold on the darknet. It could be, I don't know, Korean selling to uh, Australian that resold to Chinese similar exploits. IP addresses, well, you can run them, you say, you know, in US and attack South Africa with it, and I'm a French citizen. Is it US attacking South Africa? No. Uh, uh, the timestamp or whatever. I mean, and those groups are aggregating, dissolving and so on. We don't care about the arcane of high works. It's too complicated for us. We are just dumb. We, we are using the AK-47 approach. If you st- if you don't have a more cartridge to shoot with, you can still, you know, hammer the guy with it. We are just in the brute force approach. We don't smart, we don't try to outsmart anyone because then you get the one outsmarted. Because there's not really, a, well, most organizations, there's not a whole lot of value to being able to quote outsmart them because really you just want them to go away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and by trying to be smart, you can be outsmarted, you can make mistakes, you can trigger bad things. Whereas by trying to be scientifically exact and accurate, be sure that you cannot be poisoned. And be sure, or at least if you're poisoned, it costs so much money to the attacker that it's not worth it. A bit like in a blockchain context. Yeah, so it's it's uh, deterrence, really, is that it's yes. not worth their time and effort to keep doing what they're doing. Yes. And that's, we are choking... Cool a fundamental part of their economy. Again, which we are very simple. We strike where it hurts, money and time, one being just a form of the other, right? So if you have to constantly switch IP addresses, relocate whatever on different places, it costs you time. And sorry, I forgot about the initial question, which is, you know, uh, APT groups and so on, but there is attribution, but there is also the fact that you may be ransom. So according to IBM, Mendiant, and all the large houses, around... Above 50% of the initial intrusion are coming from mass exploitation of vulnerabilities, credential stuffing, credential brute force, credential reuse, you know, all of this. And yes, we deal with this 50%. Now, your user being fished and connecting back to a command and control channel, we cannot do anything about it because we are dealing with ingress traffic, with your exposed workload. We are not dealing with egress traffic, which is your user going out of the network. 
So I guess the question would be like, well, what if that is, if that's already in place, if that's already present, current compromise, what's the, what's the whiz bang on like why CrowdSec would be valuable there? Or would it just be, you need something else? Well, if you already are compromised, you have another problem that we are not fit to deal with. I mean, it's not entirely true because CrowdSec can run on Windows environment, for example, and detect lateral moves. So what we call lateral move is when the guys have their initial access, right? They, they bought it somewhere or they brute forced it. They are inside your network and they want to go left and right and see if there's something sensitive to cipher, delete, and then ask you for a ransom. This is what we call lateral move in the, in the field. So lateral move is usually done by scanning your peers around you with Nmap or with vulnerability scans or with Samba brute force, terminal server brute force, things like this. CrowdSec can deal with that. But to be very honest, it's a poor man's EDR because an EDR, an XDR, which are kind of glorified antivirus, but yet they do the job, they are here to deal with this. They are here to tell you, yeah, there's, some, there's a binary that had a very fishy behavior in memory, where, whereas we will be saying on the server, ah, that's weird, we are being brute forced. So we can help, but it's not our main goal. The main goal mm -hmm. is to prevent in the first place that you are being hacked. Uh, because when you are trying to avoid your user to connect back, you already are in a response situation. We want to defend you prior to this. Yeah, EDR and XDR is interesting. Uh, it's always like, well, what about PowerShell? And they're like, oh, well, PowerShell. Like, well, I mean, I'm just saying stop PowerShell, stop most ransomware. But uh, I think... Uh, I think that that the next piece of it that's interesting too is you you have an open source. So like what what's the open source twist on this because is it a fully functional product that is open source or is it like a lot of folks that offer some functional open source stuff and then if you want actual solution you got to pay for it. How does that play out? No no you're right Chase. I mean we have to be transparent. I mean the main the main mistake any company that's doing open source are doing when they are doing it. They're not all doing it, but the, the most often uh, I see this mistake is that they are not clear with their community. They use it for the bad reason, the open source. We are using it for the right reason, which means there's no twist, no trick. We offer you great software, and in return, we, we get great signals. It's software against signal. There is a trade that is a fair trade in between my community and I. So my community knows that I'm editing the best quality software I can, putting all the defenses I can. You don't have extra defenses because you're premium, right? Inside the free open source software, because we want it to be the largest ever detection network on Earth, which is probably already the case. So we want to have the real-time map of any IP address controlled by cyber criminals. For that, money is a friction. So we don't want money to be involved. If it's free, let's make it open source. It's a trust uh, factor between us. Now, how do we make money is usually the second question that comes into mind. Well, it's very simple. With the output of the network, we have this gigantic map in real time of every IP address controlled by the server kernels, and we sell it to people willing to buy it. And we sell also extra services. So if you have like a thousand machines, maybe you want them to be aggregated. Maybe you want to have one year of backlog. Maybe you want to push decision, remove decisions. Maybe you want you know some sort of higher level view of this. But the product as such is as complete as it can be. It's not limited. The free version is as powerful as the premium version. Hmm. Okay, so that's cool because I think uh, you know a lot of times you get the boiled down version of what's going on there. Uh, and there's I was reading through your your content and it was interesting when I was looking at the threat intelligence side because you've got this sort of uh, approach to uh, threat intelligence you call smoke and fire. 
Um, I'd like to kind of get into the, the difference between those two things. And then your point here is that you're not you're not honey potting because um, honey potting is a thing that a lot of people do to get intel, but you're doing things differently. Can you kind of explain how that plays out? Yeah, so honeypots, it's uh, you fake that you are a real server and hosting services and you are like, attack me, attack me, attack me. So what you catch are the Gatling guns of the internet that are blindly attacking everyone without discrimination. But no real cyber criminal will spend meaningful amount of resources against a dummy because this is what a honeypot is. It's a dummy. It's a straw dummy, right? So you shoot, but you expect to have a return on invest. So if the attack cost is extremely low, like scanning the web or scanning the net, it's okay. But as soon as you start involved investing like meaningful resources, like DDoSing, for example, DDoS requires resources. Well, then you don't do it against a dummy. So basically, our point is you don't catch realistic uh, uh, cyber criminal behaviors, or not all of them at least, with just honeypots. That's why we think by defending real workloads, we get a more accurate picture of what is dangerous or not. And the second part is fire and smoke. Smoke is the global database of, of all violations we see on a two-week rolling period of time in our network. Obviously, there are in there some innocents, like, I don't know, universities scanning the web for a census or uh, you know, researchers that are on the good side of the fence, but we cannot know about it. We, we don't care. It's used for CTI purposes, meaning you have a dot, you have an IP address in your log chase, and you want to be sure that someone else knows about it. So it's not like if any IP in smoke can be blocked. It's like if an IP is in your log and it's smoke as well, it's probably true. So it's, it's a second source, a confirmation source. It's used as a confirmation. Now, fire is a distillation of smoke. We say in French that there is no smoke without fire, right? And this is exactly the point. In fire, there are no innocent. There are no false positives. There is no poisoning. You can inject it directly into your firewall, into your black holing system in your router, a BGP level. You can use it for MFA, for whatever. You're sure that if someone is in this list, this is for a very good reason or actually a very bad reason. And this is why uh, fire is operational. It's actionable. That's why it's a very different uh, use case. And one of the things that you, you talk about too on, on your site and whatnot is, is uh, remediation as far as this thing, not just detection, but remediation. And you're doing a lot of stuff at the network side of it. So when you say remediation, other than block listing, is there anything there that's different or is it uh, a sort of IPS, IDS block because we see something? Well, it's, we call it remediation component now because actually you want to remedy in the way you want depending on your use case. Say you're a telco operator. You don't care about banning half of the internet. You've been doing this for the last, for the better part of the last 20 years or if you're a, a male uh, host, you know. But if you are an e-commerce system, you're blocking just one person. You have this fear in your mind that you will lose the one cart of the year of the person willing to buy 1 million euros of socks. Even though it's not realistic, you know, you don't want to block everyone. So the remediation component can be something you already have, your Cisco, your Fortinet, your whatever, your Palo Alto. It can be something you trigger, like Cloudflare. You want to use the response mode, the attack mode, only when there is a DDoS happening, whatever. Or it can be sending a captcha you know, on your Nginx uh, because you want to make sure that it's not a robot scalping you or trying to credit card stuff your website. So the remediation component is something you already have or you don't have, and you can use one of the one we are offering. 
since the product is entirely API driven, you do whatever you want with it. You have a signal and then you know you can send it to your SOC or put it, push it on a, on a HTTP notification or Slack, whatever. It's really entirely up to you. So on the on the size of the organization you're talking to, is it does it matter to you guys if it's an enterprise or a small business or a, a home user? Like could I run CrowdSec on my home network and you know do that thing, or does it need to be a, a business? No, sure. You, you can absolutely do it. I'm doing it at home. For example, I, I'm a prosumer. I'm a tinkerer. So in my home, I don't trust my IoT objects, for example. So I don't trust Sonos. I don't trust my camera. I don't trust no one, actually. So if one of those objects would be scanning my getaway where CrowdSec is running, I would get an alert on my phone, an HTTP notification through pushover, right? So it's something you can extremely easily do at home. It's a one-liner to install the product. And a second line, if you want to install this uh, HTTP push notification. So fairly easy, straightforward to install for the tinkerers. We have 1.2 thousand different packages for pretty much every distro you can think about, BSD, Linux, Windows. Now for the enterprise, we are fitted for the very large enterprise, mid-size and so on. What we do is we tend to tell them, integrate us into your CI CD. Because security as a posture usually is good when you release something and then it's drifting over time, you know, decaying. And CrowdSec ensures that your security posture will remain constant over time. So if you integrate us at your CI-CD level, anything you deploy, deploy on the cloud, at your headquarter, into your DMZ, wherever it is, it will stay in the same shape. Another thing that is offered by CrowdSec that is pretty unique for large accounts is say you're JP Morgan. You have machines at your headquarter. You have machines in different countries, in different DMZ, in different data centers, on the cloud, in different clouds. Right? And having a global overview of all that mess is very complicated. Not counting the fact that every line of log you will put in your CM, there will be someone sleeping in your bed being saying, hey, hey, you, I need more money for every line of log you put inside the CM. Right? What we offer is a global consolidated view of all your exposure set over the internet, which is great because if you're attacked, you and only you, then you know about it. It's a targeted attack as opposed to a Gatling gun shooting all the internet. So we are fitted for both. And if you ask me, it's a curse because it's really hard to discuss with the tinkerers, the prosumers, the SMBs, the large accounts, and the F500 saying, yes, we have the same solution for all of you guys because you all have the same problem in the end. And it's a message that we are polishing, let's say. Mm, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> that is kind of a... A, 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 I guess a good curse to have, right? Where you've got the solution that scales all the way up and down. But then again, I, from the business perspective of CrowdSec, I can see why that's uh, hard to get the same value proposition, you know, through such a broad spectrum of uh, customers. Well, I think, um, you know, I, I always like to wrap up with uh, kind of, a, you know, the question around, like, if you were going to talk to somebody uh, on the side of things, like what, what's something... Uh, I guess in the, the stuff that you monitor, like don't do this. If you were going to say, don't ignore, you know, malicious IPs or like how, if you were to try and tell somebody what's something they shouldn't do, like, what would that be? Uh, and it, you know, really the, 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 the door is open on whatever it could be. Um, you, you guys probably know more about uh, malicious things bouncing around the internet than most organizations. I would say people understand what targeted attacks are and how dangerous they are. And they are really trying to defend against those and to protect their users from falling into those traps. Like don't ignore 
the 50% of attacks that are, uh, that are inbound, that are targeting your exposed workloads. You know, when you've been in the red team context, like you've been and I've been, you know that we are hunting for that. We're hunting for the website where you drop your resume and you will be able to uh, expand uh, some web shell or whatever. And from that point onward, move down and get into the company. Now, I think on the user front and the egress, meaning from inside to outside, we are fairly covered. It's pretty okay in most companies or in a lot of companies. Now, these companies have totally forgotten a long, a long uh, internet long truth that we all had. Protect your inbound traffic, for God's sake. Ingress is as important as egress. It's 50% of the risk you're not covering. And yes, it's mass exploitation, but no, it's not less efficient. Mm. So there, I mean, there, there you go. So don't uh, don't fly a plane with one wing and expect it to do well. I mean, that's you yeah. Know, <laughs> you want yeah. you want you want two wings so that you can fly that sucker safely. Well, I think uh, I think this is cool. I, I've uh, I always get a lot out of talking to people that are actually building technology and putting things in place. Um, I definitely learned some stuff about alpacas and llamas. So thank you for that. Uh, this is. Uh, Philippe with CrowdSec, if you're looking for him, uh, we'll have links to all that on the bottom of this and reach out. And uh, they've got open source. So if you you know think you can't afford it, you're wrong. You can afford it. It's just a matter <laughs> sure. of putting things in place. Philippe, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting again in the future. With pleasure. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.